Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Tuesday, January 24th, 2023. It's been 3,254 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 335 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative except on the Solidar-Bakhmut axis. Second, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine remains combat ineffective and continues to use World War II tactics that Field Marshal Georgi Zhukov would recognize to move the line of conflict. Third, We maintain that the power struggle between military leaders aligned with Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu versus those aligned with private military company or PMC Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin will continue. Fourth, we assess there remains a very high risk of punitive missile strikes on civilians and civilian infrastructure before the end of January. Fifth, We further assess that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Sixth, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Seventh, we maintain there will be a second wave of partial mobilization in the Russian Federation in January or February 2023 which may have already started after a statement made by Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of a major offensive operation is only a remote possibility. Let's get some regional updates, starting in the Donbass region with Luhansk. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that fighting was light and positional along the entire axis. On the Svatova axis, positional battles were fought around the railroad tracks in eastern Novoselivske and into Kuzimivka, with no significant changes in the situation. Russian forces attempted to flank the Ukrainians in Novoselivske with an attack towards Stelmachivka, which was not successful. On the Kremina axis, Ukrainian forces reported positional fighting in Ploshanka, with Russian forces advancing down a narrow forested area to the southwest of the village. Based on weather conditions, the video looked recent, so we adjusted the map to show the advance. Positional fighting continued in Chervonopopivka, with no change in the situation. 
a reliable Ukrainian source reported continued fighting near Kremina, with the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, stating that Ukrainian positions near the settlement were shelled. Sergei Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported fighting continued to the west, southwest, and south of Kremina, with Dibrova, Kuzmina, and the Serebriansky woods shelled. In Russian-occupied Zolote, the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Coordination and Control, or JCCC, reported the Zolote 5 400-kilovolt substation was hit by two M31 rockets fired by HIMARS, causing heavy damage and knocking out power. Governor Haidai reported the January 21st HIMARS strike on Kadyrovka killed at least a dozen Kadyrovites. We cannot verify that claim. Yesterday, we shared a video released by War Gonzo, which allegedly showed one of their mercenaries barely escaping with their life in Bilohorivka. War Gonzo claimed the video was shot in Bilohorivka, Donetsk, and we expressed doubts about the geography. Well, geolocation proved the video was staged and recorded over six kilometers from the front line in southeastern Privilia at a mine complex. This is why we have trust issues. In northeast Donetsk on the Siversk axis, a Russian DRG unit operating in the area of Vyamka was discovered and engaged by Ukrainian troops. The GSAFU reported that fighting continued in Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, with no change to the situation. Mercenaries with War Gonzo reported that PMC Wagner continued attempts to advance from Yakovlivka toward Vesele without success. On the Solidar and Bakhmut axis, Propagandists with Ridovka reported no territorial control changes, and a series of geolocated videos indicated that PMC Wagner and their proxies had overstated Russian gains in several areas. On the Solidar axis, Ukrainian forces have stabilized their defensive lines, but remain under significant pressure. There were new reports that Russian forces captured the hamlet of Krasnopolivka north of Sil which we have maintained was between contested and captured. We adjusted the map to show the settlement is under Russian control. Russian forces were reportedly attempting to advance on Rozdolivka using the ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, from Krasnopolivka. A Russian mill blogger reported that sporadic fighting continued in Solidar, with Ukrainian Special Operation Forces, or SOF, and DRG entering behind the line of conflict using the salt mines. Self-declared leader of the DNR, Denis Pushilin, stated that Solidar had been, quote, completely destroyed, but vowed to return the Artyomsol salt mines to operational status, claiming there were enough men and specialists to make it possible. Pushilin made identical promises about the Ilyich and Azovstal metallurgical factories, both in the process of being torn down and illegally transferred to Russia as scrap metal. There are no plans to rebuild either facility. Multiple sources reported fighting for Blachodatne continued, despite earlier reports by the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, that the village was captured. PMC Wagner has not been able to make any progress into Krasnohora after Ukrainian forces stabilized the line of defense. On the Bakhmut axis, an advance led by PMC Wagner on Padaskovievka failed. In Bakhmut itself, fighting was only positional on the eastern, southeastern, and southern fringes. 
A geolocated video showed PMC Wagner firing on Ukrainian positions in the residential areas on the eastern edge of Bakhmut, indicating that the reports of advances in this area were false or the advances were repulsed. Fighting continued around the meatpacking plant, with Russian social media channels spreading false information about the situation. Opitne is under the full control of PMC Wagner, but they haven't been able to turn the capture into tactical success and remain stuck within the Bakhmut suburb. South of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner continues to force penal units to conduct DRG probes of Ukrainian defenses, attempting to find a way to bypass Klishivka. The GSAFU reported an attack was repulsed in the area of Stupochki, which we assess was a squad or platoon-sized reconnaissance unit. Wargonzo reported that a, quote, massive artillery campaign was pounding PMC Wagner mercenaries within Klishivka, and a video recorded over the last week supported the claim. Wagner forces occupied Ukrainian defensive positions near the railroad line just north of the village and were attacked by drone-directed artillery. Mercenaries with Rybar and Ukrainian source Deep State reported continued fighting in the area. It's been five days since PMC Wagner claimed to have captured the settlement, and there still have not been any pictures or videos released. Kramatorsk was struck by Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack. There was only minor damage. Southwest of Bakhmut, Chasivyar was attacked by Grad or Smirch rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems or MLRS. One civilian was killed and two wounded. In southwest Donetsk on the New York axis, Russian forces attacked Novobakhmutivka and were unsuccessful. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, showed thermal anomalies east of the settlement, indicating the fighting was near the dam west of Petrunki. On the Avdiivka axis, there was only positional fighting. The 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, heavily shelled Avdiivka again, and attempted to advance from Spartak without success. DNR separatists tried to push into Pervomaiske again, with no change in the situation. On the Marinka axis, Russian attacks on Krasnohorivka came to an end. Wargonzo finally admitted that Ukrainian forces remained in the city center, but claimed this was due to a counterattack. If you're a new listener, Ukrainian forces never left the city center. A geolocated video showed Ukrainian forces in the center of Marinka being attacked with TOS-1 thermobaric weapons. Another video showed that Ukrainian forces destroyed a 240-millimeter TULIP self-propelled mortar, or SPM, the largest mortar system in the world. The strike killed several Russian soldiers and destroyed the fourth out of eight 240-millimeter SPMs active in the Russian military. The Russian Federation has reportedly brought six to eight more out of storage for restoration to backfill the losses. In Mariupol, Gauleiter Konstantin Vladimirovich, the puppet mayor, was fired by the Mariupol Occupation Administration. No reason was given for termination, and a replacement was not named. Insurgents report that Russian forces are moving equipment at night during the civilian curfew, and using alternate roads that don't pass through the city to conceal transfers. They reported a sharp increase in traffic, with convoys moving northeast toward the direction of Donetsk. Mariupol resistance reported a car bomb killed three Russian military officers. Also in Mariupol, 
the freeze-thaw cycle caused by the warmer-than-expected winter is forcing the bones of those killed during the siege and never properly buried to surface across the city. Social media videos showed Russian-occupied Kharkiv and Ilovaisk being hit by rockets. Orlivka also came under artillery fire, and Yatinovate, which is a launching for Russian attacks on Avdiivka and a location of several firebases, was also shelled. In Russian-occupied Shakhtarsk, civil engineers who repair the heating systems are likely experiencing a cold night after the water was drained from the thermal plant. Self-declared leader of the DNR, Pushilin, had vowed last week that those responsible for the repair and maintenance of thermal plants would stay in unheated homes until problems were fixed. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling on the west and east banks of the Dnipro. For the second day in a row, Yaroslav Yanoshevich, Kherson Oblast administrative and military governor, had not released the daily report outlining artillery strikes on free Ukraine at the time of recording. Social media reports, however, hinted that activity was once again light. In the Kherson suburb of Antonivka, one person was killed by Russian shelling. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported that Russian forces using a civilian boat attempted to cross the Dnipro to the Potemkin Islands. The vessel and the SOF, or DRG, unit aboard were eliminated. Rybar admitted that the Russian offensive in Zaporizhia failed and reached a culmination point. However, undeterred that none of his reports are supported, Russian collaborator Vladimir Rogov wrote more fanfiction, claiming that a large area of the front had become a gray zone and that Russian forces had advanced up to eight kilometers in some areas. These claims are completely false. On the Orekhiv axis, a geolocated video showed that the settlement of Bilohidia is under Ukrainian control. We can't validate if our map was conservative or if this represents new territorial gains. Based on the intelligence, we updated the map and coded the adjacent settlement of Luhivske as contested. In our assessment, Luhivske, north of the Konko River and protected by a marshy area, is likely under Ukrainian control due to the terrain. Still on the Orekhiv axis, Rybar reported that Russian forces could not advance into Kamyanskia on the east bank of the Dnipro River due to Ukrainian artillery. In a further indication that the offensive ended as quickly as it began, Oleksandr Staruch, Zaporizhia Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Russian forces fired 111 shells, mortars, or rockets along the entire Zaporizhia axis. This is pretty close to the operational tempo before the so-called offensive. There is still no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, the composition of the Black Sea fleet changed with 11 ships on patrol, including three missile carriers capable of launching 24-caliber cruise missiles. In western and central Ukraine, the war continues to resemble World War I and II far more closely than it does a 21st-century battlefield. In the Dnipropetrovsk region, powerful searchlights were installed in Krividi to help anti-aircraft gunners spot kamikaze drones at night. Pictures look straight from a history book circa 1943 instead of 2023. 
As with most of the pictures and videos we reference, we do link to them in our full situation report on Patreon. In north and northeast Ukraine, Russian forces pounded the Sumy Oblast, striking the Hromadas of Bilopilia, Znovnovhorodsk, Yunakivka, Krasnopilia, Miropilia, and Esmen with mortars, artillery shells, and rockets. The village of Vorozhba was hit by at least 10 artillery shells fired from the Russian border, striking the village center, apartment buildings, and the train station. Near Seredina Buda, there was a border skirmish, with the Territorial Guard exchanging small arms and machine gun fire with Russian troops. Putovol was hit with up to six S-300 anti-aircraft rockets used for a ground attack. There was no information on damage or injuries from the strike. The village of Kucherivka was hit with 30 grad rockets fired by MLRS, killing one person and wounding two. On the Russian front, there were reports of an explosion and fire in the Bryansk region, with no indication if it resulted from military activity. Vyacheslav Gladkov, governor of the Bilgorod Federal District, claimed that Russian air defenses shot down a missile over the village of Kazinka, which crashed into a field. There was no damage or injuries reported. Satellite images suggest that Russian VKS completely withdrew from Engels II airbase. On January 21st, only six aircraft were visible, three partially disassembled Tu-95 strategic bombers, two inoperative Tu-160 strategic bombers, and one IL-62M transport, which is a museum piece on static display. We know Russia says they have the best air defense system in the world, but they're being extra sure. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Oh, hey, guess what? Dmitry Medvedev is talking about nuclear war again. At the meeting of the Bureau of the Supreme Council of United Russia, Medvedev said, quote, The world has come close to the threat of the Third World War due to the upcoming aggression against the Russian Federation. The special military operation has become a forced last resort in response to the preparation of aggression by the United States and its satellites and political forces that are trying to engage in anti-state politics should be eliminated from the political landscape. End quote. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov echoed the sentiment that the United States and the West are going to destroy Russia, stating that Ukraine was being turned into a bridgehead to attack Russia and that the, quote, Anglo-Saxons want to build naval bases in the Sea of Azov, calling it, quote, a serious matter. Look, I'm no expert, but no navy on the planet would have any interest in building bases on the shores of the Azov Sea. It's shallow, it requires passing through two narrow straits to reach the Mediterranean, and it freezes over, even during the ongoing historically warm winter in Europe. We've previously reported how Russia is keenly interested in Odessa because it represents a second warm-weather port that would allow the Russian Federation to compete with Turkey for dominance of the Black Sea. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov threw ice water all over the argument of who doesn't want to negotiate with who, saying, quote, There are currently no conditions for negotiations between Russia and Ukraine, 
either de facto or de jure. End quote. Almost at the same time, Lavrov, who somehow refrained from talking about Nazis, Jews, or nuclear war, said Ukraine was refusing to negotiate with the Russian Federation. Okay, so I'm pretty sure that Orwell's 1984 was not supposed to be an instruction manual. The deputy head of the president's office of Ukraine, Kirill Timoshenko, submitted his resignation in an ongoing shakeup of the Ukrainian government. There are widespread reports that the military and administrative governors of Sumy, Dnipropetrovsk, Kherson, and Zaporizhia oblasts will submit their resignations today as part of an ongoing corruption probe. Among other issues, Timoshenko is under fire for driving a donated Chevrolet Tahoe for his personal use. The vehicle was provided to Ukraine by General Motors to evacuate civilians out of war zones and to support humanitarian aid missions. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky signed several decrees on January 23rd, including one that bars government officials and civil servants from traveling abroad beyond official business, saying in his evening address, quote, It applies to all officials of the central government and various other levels of local government. It applies to law enforcers, people's deputies, prosecutors, and all those who are supposed to work for the state and in the state. If they want to rest now, they will rest outside the civil service. Officials will no longer be able to travel abroad for vacation or any other non-governmental purpose. End quote. Zelensky indicated that a larger shakeup of the Kiev government would be announced today. The Ukrainian armed forces claimed to have shot down five Russian Ka-52 alligator attack helicopters in 24 hours without evidence. It is one of the largest claims of Russian airframe losses Ukrainian officials have made since February 24th. Moldova announced they would conduct military readiness drills from January 24th to February 4th. People in the country were advised to expect military equipment movement involving up to 400 soldiers, which is more than 5% of the Moldovan military. Germany moved its promised Patriot missile system to Poland, which will be stationed 60 kilometers from the border of Ukraine to protect operations and logistics. Italy is sending a SAMP-T anti-aircraft system to Slovakia so that the Patriot missile system provided by the United States can be relocated to Germany. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz reiterated that he has not, and at this time will not, approve the transfer of Leopard 2 main battle tanks to Ukraine. Scholz is under internal and external pressure to authorize the transfer. European sources claim that a dozen nations are ready to transfer 100 Leopard 2 MBTs if Germany stops blocking the transfer. Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki said his government would request formal authorization from Germany to send the Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine. The United States has offered to supply any nation providing Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine with M1A1 or M1A2 Abrams replacements, which would be a serious blow to the German weapons industry. German arms manufacturer Rheinmetall appears to understand the long game and announced they could supply Ukraine with 139 Leopard Type 1 and 2 MBTs if the German government grants permission. European nations, particularly in Eastern Europe, are increasingly looking to the United States and South Korea to supply heavy weapons. Speaking of the weapons industry, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Chief of the General Staff of the Russian Federation Armed Forces, Valery Garasimov, stated the obvious. 
Russia's mobilization system was unprepared to support the self-made staffing crisis within the military. Gerasimov claims the problems didn't reveal themselves until after mobilization started, and they had to learn as they went to fix problems, saying, quote, Our mobilization system in this form had not been used since the time of Comrade Stalin. It managed to rust over the decades, not to mention the consequences of Perestroika and the saints of the 90s. End quote. With the admission of problems, you would think Gerasimov would want to address the most pressing issues, like equipment shortages, improving battlefield medicine, radio communications, training, that sort of thing. Instead, the now comical debate raging about shaving, haircuts, and clean uniforms for frontline troops raged on. PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin waded into the debate, having one of his controlled publications ask him a so-called random question about shaving, to which he replied, quote, Women warriors climb into the inferno and get wounded. Quick note, that's a reference to Anastasia Yelsukova. Penal units fight better than guard units. Another note, this references elite units like the 64th, 76th, and 155th. Fighters with broken spines, like robots, go to transfer their experience to training camps. And a bunch of clowns is trying to teach the fighters, exhausted by hard military labor, how many times they should shave and what kind of spirits to meet the higher authorities. I believe it is necessary to adopt a legislative restriction and severe punishment with a prison term of up to 50 years for the glamorization of the army. End quote. Prigozhin was also asked about casualties within the PMC and admitted that deserters are not counted among losses and are listed as, quote, missing, even if the PMC knows they deserted. Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu has replaced the commander of the Southern Military District. Colonel General Sergei Kuzovlev was dismissed as leader of the Western Military District in the final days of General of the Army Sergei Sorovykin's leadership in Ukraine. General Kuzovlev has been named the new commander of the Southern Military District. The announcement indicates that the changes Sorovykin made and the movement of Kremlin leaders who are allies of Wagner's Prigozhin into more direct leadership roles in Ukraine are being unraveled. Propagandist Venker Yuri Katnok claims that stealth mobilization is ongoing and never stopped in the first place, saying, quote, I believe that mobilization should be for the fulfillment of the tasks of a special military operation, and it continues. We know that the military registration and enlistment offices are carrying out planned work to call up reserve servicemen of certain categories and certain military specialties. I know that this process has not stopped. I wouldn't call it a wave— I'm talking about a process that is inevitable, end quote. Kremlin spokesperson Peskov confirmed that mobilization has, in fact, never ended, stating that Putin's decree on mobilization, quote, provides not only for the call of the required number of people, but also for other activities. Therefore, it continues to operate, end quote. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. After mocking Ukrainian points of invincibility, 
Russian propagandist Ridovka celebrated Mariupol comfort station set up by United Russia and Ridovka after the heating systems completely failed in the city and the donated electrical heaters provided by propagandists proved to be inadequate and overloaded the electrical system starting fires. According to Ridovka, three-tenths of 200 people accessing them daily. They offer heat, hot tea, and a place to charge phones. Assistant Minister of Health of Russia Alexei Kuznetsov said that Ridovka propagandist Anastasia Yelsukova is at the National Research Center for Traumatology and Orthopedics in the intensive care unit and will require multiple surgeries and long-term rehabilitation after a sniper's bullet in Seal shattered her knee. I invite you to compare this to the experience of War Gonzo's Semyon Pegov, who got the best medical care Donetsk had to offer after he stepped on a mine. Rumors that PMC Wagner commander and defector Andriy Medvedev was facing deportation back to Russia are untrue, according to his lawyer, Brunhjol Friesnes. Riesnes told the BBC that the 26-year-old had been moved to a detention center in the Oslo area, and Medvedev, who is not related to Dmitry Medvedev, was likely confused due to a language barrier during his arrest that had him believe he was being deported. In geopolitical news, Russia and Estonia expelled their ambassadors, with the Russian foreign ministry summoning Estonian ambassador Margus Leidre, who must leave the country by February 7th. In response, Estonian Foreign Minister Urmas Reinslu announced that the Russian ambassador also must leave by February 7th, quote, in the interest of parity. In a sign of further escalation, it was reported that Estonia was considering establishing a so-called contiguous zone within 24 nautical miles of the nation's coast, which would encompass the entire Gulf of Finland and cut off Russian ships transiting the Baltic Sea from St. Petersburg's regional ports. If Estonia were to expand its claim over the coastal waters, it would have the legal authority to inspect military and civilian ships sailing through the zone. Currently, the territorial zone extends 12 nautical miles from the coast. Later in the day, Latvia's foreign minister, Edgar Srinkiewicz, announced that they were expelling Russia's ambassador effective February 24th. The Russian foreign minister accused the Tallinn government of being Russophobic and creating a culture of hostility. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan claimed that his nation would not ratify Sweden or Finland's application to NATO, citing a Quran-burning incident outside the Turkish embassy in Stockholm as the final straw. Erdogan said, quote, If Sweden does not show respect for Turkey or Muslims, then they will not see any support from us in the NATO issue. End quote. On January 21st, an anti-Turkish rally took place in Stockholm, led by activist Rasmus Paludan, who burned the Quran. Paludan is a self-admitted far-right ethno-nationalist, Danish-Swedish politician, and lawyer. In 2021, Denmark found him guilty of racism and defamation, resulting in a suspended sentence, and he admitted to engaging in graphic sexual conversations with boys ages 13 to 17 on his Discord server. Journalists have accused Moscow of funding Paladin and his hardline Danish political party for years before the wide-scale invasion of Ukraine. In our assessment, this feels like a convenient excuse. A Quran was burned in the United States at Arizona State University in December 2021, which elicited exactly zero response from Ankara. 
The real issue is Sweden and Finland providing asylum to Kurdish minorities, whom Turkey claims are members of the Kurdistan Workers' Party, also known as the PKK, which is recognized as a terrorist organization. In economic news, the ruble was unchanged, with an official exchange rate of 69 for one U.S. dollar. Western oil prices were also unchanged, with WTI crude holding at $82 a barrel and Brent at $88, while Russian Ural's crude hit its price ceiling of $60 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline on the spot market climbed to $2.68 a gallon, or $0.71 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures dropped over 9%, falling to €60 Euros per megawatt hour for February and March 2023 delivery. Chicago SRW wheat futures also dropped, reaching $7.25 a bushel for March 2023 delivery, the lowest price since April 2021. We do have some breaking news for you today. It looks like the leopards are being released. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz is expected to make an announcement tomorrow authorizing the transfer of German Leopard 2 MBTs to Ukraine. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.